Hi, everyone, and welcome to The Learner's Corner. This is the podcast for lifelong learners where we learn from anything and everything. My name is Caleb Mason. My name is Todd Hicksonball. Today, we are going to be learning about multi-ethnic communities, and specifically, we're going to be learning about the church, Citizens Akron. Now, before we start in that conversation and talking with our guests, we've been, we want to let you know that we've been getting a ton of positive feedback about the podcast, you know, some of the topics that we've been doing and hearing that many of you have enjoyed it a ton. And we just want to say thanks. Thanks for sharing our episodes. Thanks for the feedback. And uh, what we want to do right now is just read a review that was left on our iTunes podcast page um, from Brandon Hosteller. And Brandon was on the podcast, you know, a few episodes ago, and here's what he had to say. He says, great content, always relevant to what I'm currently interested in. Great topics and conversations that leave me with new knowledge and interests. Definitely check out this podcast. We appreciate it, Brandon. We loved having you on our podcast. We'll have that in our show notes if you missed our episode with Brandon talking about social media. But thank you for all of you. Thank you for all of you who have left a review or shared an episode or liked our Facebook page or commented on social media somewhere. Thank you so much for helping us share this episode and get what we're learning and helping other people learn it as well. Now, as I said earlier, we're going to be talking about Citizens Akron. You've probably heard us mention that over the past couple of episodes or before with Skylar and with Moose, who have been previous guests on this episode. And joining us today will be the lead pastor there, James Talbert. So James has been a friend of mine for a long time, and he's a guy who's really, really passionate about the church, about faith, about God, and about following God to the best of his ability. And so his story really bears that out, and it's a story of faith that's being put into action. And so just as we talk with, with James, you know, he, he's really passionate about a church that isn't all one color, but that people from all walks of life can feel at home under one roof. And so James and the team that they have up at Citizens Akron in Akron, Ohio, ha, has really looked to do that, and they, they're doing it well. Um, so we have a lot of questions that we just talked with him about, that we're, that we're getting ready to talk with him about, about um, just what that looks like and, and, and some of the difficulties that they've faced doing that, but some of the joys as well. And so um, with this episode, um, again, we just want to remind you that this is a topic that for some might be uncomfortable, but it's a conversation that's going to be great for us to have. And we're going to join that conversation with James right now. Well, welcome to the podcast, James Talbert. Hey, how you doing? We're super excited to have James on the podcast today. And James is the lead pastor of Citizens Akron Church in Akron, Ohio. And so we just want to talk with them today about Citizens and what he's learning through there. So James, as we start, you know, why don't you just tell us like the story of Citizens Akron, you know, how did it get started, you know, and all of that. Uh, Citizens Akron, um, I love the city of Akron. I love the city of Akron to death. I always have. I was born in D.C., but the first place that became home to me was Akron, Ohio, after my parents divorced when I was a small child. And I came here, and we lived in Barberton, but the Akron area, I mean, I grew up basically at Roland Acres Mall and areas <laughs> all around the city. And uh, the reason we started Citizens Akron is because um, over the years that I was doing ministry here in Canton, there was always something in my heart that said, hey, go back home, do ministry around people that you know. And for a long time, it was kind of a situation where I was like, eventually I'll get to that. Like I still have some stuff to do right now, but uh, in 2014, a friend of mine died of a heroin overdose and I'm in the funeral and the spirit just began to minister to my heart. And as I looked around, I had like this epiphany and the epiphany like, was everyone in this church, everyone who's here, the only reason I'll ever be in a place of worship together is for a funeral. And then as friends continue to die, I continue to go to funerals, and I continue to like have a similar epiphany that the only reason folks would ever gather in a building that even looks like a church is, is a funeral. And that just began to really mess with me. And 
some time went on, and in 2014, I was taking classes uh, for Trinity Seminary, the chapel in Akron, and I was at my mother's house in Barberton, and I was driving to the Swinsons on Hawkins because I was having a terrible day, and that's what Akronites do when they have terrible Good days. Swinsons. They get galley boys, so I was driving to go get a galley boy, and as I was driving by Rowan Acres Mall, like, to get there from my mother's house, I'm driving there, and I'm driving on Hawkins. As I was driving through Barberton, I just began to really look around, and every place I looked reminded me of a memory, and those memories were attached to moments, and those moments attached to people, and these are literal people who have literal souls, who will spend eternity somewhere, and the realization hit me, and I began to cry in the car, I pull up to Swinton's, and I'm like, crying, I can't even like order my galley boys, <laughs> because the realization hit me that a lot of them are never going to step foot in a traditional institutional church. And again, the spirit began to minister to my heart in the car. And I just began to, to vision and dream of what would happen if they didn't have to walk into the church, but we took the church to them. What would happen if every man, woman, and child in the city of Akron had a daily encounter with Jesus Christ because they had daily encounters with us? And this was a community effort. What if we as a church embraced our gospel identity as missionaries? And what if we seen our lives as a missions field and not uh, Africa and Timbuktu as missions fields, but our everyday comings and goings and the rhythms of our lives. And uh, 12 crazy people in the basement happened to hear what I was talking about and say, you know what, we want to do this. We want to relocate our lives to the city of Akron for the purposes of gospel saturation. So let me let me stop you right there real quick. Yeah. So were you just like having conversations with people like, hey, this is what I'm feeling and they were like, no, I'm feeling the same way or like how like how did you get to that basement with twelve people? Well it's kinda that's a good question. So uh, one of my best friends in the world, Max, and his wife Callie, uh, Max and I were roommates in college. I've known Max since the eighth grade. And there was kind of just this general understanding that eventually we were going to go back to Akron and do something. Mm-hmm. What that was, we didn't know. I mean, Max, if it wasn't for Max, like, God used him. I wouldn't know Jesus. Like, Max really was the instrument that in high school uh, really lived out the gospel in front of me in a really practical and tangible way. So this has always been Max's MO. It's just mm-hmm. how he's expressed the Christian faith and uh there was always an understanding, and we had been talking about it. And then uh, a guy named Skylar Roberson, uh, me and him became friends. Uh, I mispronounced him and Moose's group. We've had both of these two guys, by the way, on our podcast in previous episodes. Yeah, so I was. it was a gospel choir concert at Malone, and their rap group was going up. And their name was the Hall of Faith Saints, and I called them the Hall of Fame Singers. So that was in 2009, and they weren't really happy with me after that. They were pretty salty. I got up there and called them the wrong name. I mean, they didn't tell me, but they were, they were salty. But in 2013, uh, Skyler and I, Sky, I was doing work at the Martin Center in Canton. Shout out Third Street Church. If you live in Canton, you need to go down to Third Street Church. Get a word from the homie Corey. Corey Hunk at Third Street Church. Go holler at him. But, uh, I was doing work down at the Martin Center, and Skyler just, he would come, and he would help out with the middle schoolers, and that dude, I just, he just has a shepherd's heart. He's just one of the most pastoral individuals I've ever met. And He's cool as the other side of the pillow. Cool as the other side of the pillow. Ice cold, Skyler. But I met Skyler, and then, like, as I was having these, these experiences when I was going back home, I would go back to the chapel and I would talk to a friend of mine named Carl Olson. And Carl, at that time, had two kids. Carl has three and one on the way, he and his wife, Kara. And I would just talk to Carl about diversity. And I would talk to him about race. And we would dream of what a multi-ethnic church would look like. So I approached Carl about it. And um, my wife, who was my girlfriend at that time, she was, she was down. She was all for it. That was where our relationship was heading. And she just, she in and of herself, she's a pastor's kid. And she always questioned, is this what we should, is this what we should be doing as Christians? And 
Yeah, so that's kind of how those people got to the basement. So, um, and as we sat there and as we began to cast vision together, there was just this buy-in that I believe was from the spirit. And uh, yeah, and after that 12, we had to begin to do stuff. And I was at a Starbucks and I was talking to another one of my friends from Milan. Her name is Hannah Simonides. It was Hannah Krabs at that time. And uh, a good friend of mine, Jacqueline, who was a part of that original process, Jacqueline's like, you got to talk to Hannah. Like, you need to talk to Hannah. So I go to a Starbucks, and I talk to Hannah, and I'm talking to her about uh, what we plan to do. And Hannah is like, you got to meet this guy named Zach Cullen. Like, you need to meet him. You need to text him. You need to meet with him. So I text this guy, Zach, and we meet at the McDonald's. And literally, I met my tall white twin. <laughs> like, we're like talking, and it was like I was talking to myself. In, to myself, like <laughs> it was like it was like when Zach was talking to me, it was my voice, and when I was talking to him, and we go on a walk around this neighborhood called Middlebury, and Zach just begins to share his heart for Middlebury and his heart for Akron. And it seemed as if, like, even in that moment, I feel like God was really aligning us and really bringing us together to to move in Akron. Yeah. And how old were you at this time, too? I think that's important, too, to see to, to see how old were you when this was just starting to happen. Twenty When it first started to happen, I was 24. So you were a young guy when this was going on. Like, you were, you were fresh coming out of college, and you were fresh just kind of starting to learn things and, and really develop as a grown-up before we even start talking about being a, doing anything with a church, something significant like this. So this is a really significant thing at a younger age that you really felt was, was an important piece to what God was calling you to do. Yeah. I mean, to save you guys a sermon, like when you look at the biblical narrative and you look at how God calls people, um, Age is not really right. something mm-hmm. that's a part of the deal. Like, God calls the willing, and God qualifies them. There's really no rhyme or reason to why God calls, but he calls. I mean, my favorite theologian is a guy named Martin Luther King Jr., and Martin Luther King Jr. was 26 years old when the Montgomery Bus boycott happened, and he organized that, and he began a movement that would change the face of the United States. So... Yes, I was really young, and yes, I am really young now, but yeah. I'm really thankful to Chaplain North Canton, who is an accountability system. I'm really thankful for my pastor, Ryan Johnston, and our relationship, and how he guides, and how he leads, and how he is discipling me fly or fall. So, love that dude. But yeah, we're all really young. Right. Zach's the grandpa of us, and he's 31. <laughs> <laughs> the 31 year old grandpa That's awesome. so going back to the story so you have this group of people you know this group of around 12 people inclu- including yourself mm-hmm. and you know you're trying to figure out you know how can we create this multi-ethnic church so take us you know you have this group of people like what was next after that so if you go to our website if you look at our material you're going to see like multi-ethnic church <clears throat> I want to start first. We want it to be a church. And as we look at what the church is biblically, like scripturally, when we see like Jesus talk to those 125 people before he ascends, and he tells them, yeah, I need you to wait in this upper room. And when you wait in this upper room, you're going to receive power. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and he's going to give you that dunamis, that power to be my witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. And then as you see Pentecost happen in Acts chapter 2, and as you see a man become healed by the power of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 3, and as you see Peter and John um, in the trial before the Sanhedrin, what you're going to find after that in Acts is you're going to find like a, a structural description of the church. And whether you believe it's prescriptive or descriptive, Todd, whatever you believe about that, you're just going to find like a roadmap essentially to like what that first church did and who that first church was. Mm-hmm. 
Acts 1-8 is going to be the mission statement. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the world. And what you're going to find in the book of Acts from there is the Holy Spirit weeding out issues and hurdles that are keeping them, that are barriers to them truly being the church that Jesus intends them to be. And one of those barriers is, is racism. You look at Acts chapter 10, you look at Peter and Cornelius. Like the Holy Spirit rebukes Peter through a dream three times. You look at the rest of the narrative of Acts, like the gospel going out to the Gentiles, like the gospel is for all people. And first and foremost, we want it to be a church and in a dense and diverse city, and especially in the neighborhoods that that God led us to to move into. They're very diverse communities. There are students all over the middle of downtown Akron. There are African-Americans who have been pushed out by white flight. And now with gentrification, it's like a double, double-edged sword of white flight. So you've got African-Americans who have been forgotten about in Akron everywhere. You've got North Hill, which is the refugee capital of Summit County. I'd like to say Northeast Ohio. That's why our World Relief Office is there. So you have refugees. You have all different types of people in the city. So first and foremost, in order for us to be a faithful witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we wanted to come in and we wanted to say, hey, we want to be a church for all people. We want to be a church. The multi-ethnic piece comes in us intentionally wanting to say, hey, um, racism in this country has been a very intentional effort. The transatlantic slave trade was a very intentional effort. The genocide of our Native American brothers and sisters was a very intentional effort. What's happening now on the border in the United States is a very intentional effort to keep out a certain people group because of their race. The United States of America, in and of itself, go out and read Greg Boyd's Myth of a Christian Nation. Wonderful book. Todd, you definitely should read it. Caleb, you too. I just know Todd's a reader. You definitely Oh, me too. You too? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Myth of a Christian Nation. Greg Boyd. If we really look into the origins of our nation, intentional racism is a part of it. The reason Christopher Columbus was able to come over here in the first place is because the church had this doctrine that they called the doctrine of discovery. And what the doctrine of discovery stated was, if a people group is not civilized, they're actually not a people group at all. So the imago Dei in them, the image of God in that people group doesn't actually exist. So that's why the genocide of Native Americans was okay. That's why the transatlantic slave trade was okay. The doctrine of discovery that was dictated by the church. So in America, right? Those acts were very intentional. Jim Crow is intentional. Redlining is intentional. All this stuff is intentional. Mass incarceration today is insanely intentional. Go watch a documentary on Netflix called The 13th. It outlines very well how intentional the mass incarceration crisis is in America today. Modern day slavery. There's more African Americans in prison today than there were slaves in slavery, per Michelle Alexander in her book, the new Jim Crow. This is a very intentional effort. So as a church in this nation, in a dense and diverse city, we wanted to say, we're going to intentionally be a multi-ethnic church. We're going to intentionally be a church for all people. We want to, in a very intentional way, be a testimony to a dense and diverse city that the power of the gospel is not only to vertically reconcile us, but the power of the gospel is also to horizontally reconcile us. And a powerful testimony of that horizontal reconciliation is people from different cultural backgrounds, different socioeconomic brackets, different cultures coming together in the same place and worshiping the same God because his blood's powerful enough. So for us, the intentional, intentionally being a multi-ethnic church was important and us intentionally saying that. So to come to Citizens is to, on this Sunday, You'll hear a Swahili song because there are um, refugees from the Democratic Republic of Congo who live right around our building, and we want our church to be a welcoming space for them. So we're going to sing in their language, 
And even though uh, I'm going to guess not many of us in Citizens speak Swahili, we want to stand with them in mutuality and in hospitality. And we want to say, we love you. And God is not only the God of English speakers. Mm-hmm. You come to our celebration, you hear a little gospel. Praise God. You'll see me go in. You'll hear some. Let's be clear. James is a black preacher. Indeed. Like, that's, let's be clear. That's why I'm talking for this long time. I can't help it. Clocks are, clocks are the devil to black <laughs> preachers. But uh, No, yeah. I think this is really good. You know, you're, because what it sounds like is that, you know, even for you, you're going, hey, I'm going to give up my preferences for the sake of unity for all of the people groups, whether they're black, white, Swahili, whatever it may be. Everybody's got to give up some of their preferences. So you don't sing Swahili songs for every song. You don't sing gospel songs for every song, but it's, hey, we're going to bend some of my preferences, things that aren't essential for the sake of unity. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, uh, uh, another one of my favorite theologians and preachers, Brian Loritz, he talks about the church as a battleship versus a cruise ship. And I think there's a there's a lot of truth, and we don't even have time to unpack this on this show. But I've heard you talk about this before. But the church the church is Brian Ritz is correct. The church is not a cruise ship. The church is a battleship. The church has a mission, and in America, um, we've made it a, we've made it a cruise ship. We've made it about our comfort. We've made it about our preference. We've made it about us. When the church is to be a testimony of Jesus Christ to the world of the goodness of his salvation versus a social club where we come and we trade five dollars for good thoughts about religion that make us sleep better at night. The Church of Jesus Christ has a mission. And it is in fact a it is in fact a battleship and not a cruise ship. Uh, Jackie Hope Perry, she just posted on Facebook yesterday. I'm a huge Christian hip hop fan, not as big as uh, Skyler, but I'm a, I'm a huge Christian hip hop fan. But uh, Jackie Hill Perry posted yesterday, and she said, and she said, comfort. Comfort is not the disposition of an exile; it's the disposition of a native. And for us as the church, like we can't, where this is not our home. Like we're citizens of another kingdom. Like we're citizens of the kingdom of God. We are exiles on this planet. And as exiles, we have a mission. And I think it's important as a church that we don't forget that. But in our experiment, everyone give everyone everyone's giving up something. Mm-hmm. Our African Americans like may not like hill songs. They may not like acoustic guitars. Um, our Caucasian brothers and sisters may wonder why we're repeating the chorus 99 times and why uh, people are yelling. Uh, Some of our refugee brothers and sisters may not understand the language of what's going on for most of the service. But it's been cool to see how we're growing in diversity. So it's really cool. So you talked about, you know, one of the ways that you're being intentionally multi-ethnic, you know, by by your music selection, selection. What are some other ways that you're like intentionally like being multi-ethnic and diverse? So uh, we believe that the first uh, the first line that we needed to be multi-ethnic on was our leadership. So our leadership team, uh, I'm African-American, Skylar's African-American, Zach is Caucasian, Carl is Caucasian, and uh, Steve is Caucasian. So... As a leadership team, we wanted to reflect diversity. And we're still, as we grow, looking to move in our leadership team even more in diversity. Um, the faces of people who are on stage. So um, we have made a concert effort in the last few months to say, all right, we want like men and women on stage. Uh, we are trying to figure out, because we just, we don't have a whole ton of age diversity. So we're predominantly a millennial movement, but we do have some. So we're trying to figure out now how to say, how can we be more multi-generational in our presentation? Our village leadership, 
which are what we call missional communities, which are the principal organizing vehicle of our church, our village leaders, men and women, black and white. So in leadership and how we present ourselves, the songs we sing, um, our preaching styles are different. So Zach and I do do most of the preaching. Our preaching styles are, are different. I can't help but be more rah-rah. And Zach, Zach teaches. He's like, Zach's like an excited version of Tim Keller. <laughs> I, that is the best thing I've heard. Yeah, Zach's, he's excited. He's, he's an excited version of Tim Keller. He, he feels deeply. See, but you're a teacher too, though. I listen to you preach on many occasions, and I, I would definitely say you're a teacher too. You definitely just do give it the, the, african-american preacher the the guy who who yells the same thing maybe five times in a row and that's fine that that is yep that is yeah and i'll yeah i'll do that sunday probably yell it ten times but yeah (laughs) so what like with being multi-ethnic and working towards that there's got to be conflict with that so like what are what are some of the challenges that come with trying to be multi-ethnic and trying to be diverse So, there are internal and external challenges that come with that. So, the internal challenges that come with that is um, structurally and organizationally, the black church and the white church meet, like, are two very different things. Like, I would say, like, as a member of the black church, grew up in the black church. My my mother has been teaching Sunday school since far before I was born. So I was, I grew up in the pew pretty much. Like of the original glorious church, their branch in Barberton, right? So I grew up in the pew. The black church, the highest value is what you feel. Like it's that you, it's that you feel something. Like we want to, we want to feel the Holy Ghost in the mm-hmm. African American church, and that is the highest value. Like that is a value above like organization. That is a value above uh, above time. That's a value above anything. It's it's a communal experience of the Holy Spirit. Worship is bodily, so we're we're clapping, we're stomping. Somebody might start shouting. It's actually not a good service unless somebody starts shouting. That's my, and I can't speak for the whole experience of the African-American church because I'm one individual mm-hmm. who's from a specific area and a specific context. So I can speak from my experience in the African-American church. But um, that's what it was about. And then I went to the chapel. And at the chapel, the highest value is, is theology. Mm-hmm. It's, it's learning. It's the head, yeah. So, and that's good. Just like a high value feeling the Holy Spirit is good. Mm-hmm. I don't think. I don't think there's in there's no there's no right or wrong way to that. Yeah. So in being a multi ethnic church, it's it's difficult sometimes in the sense that even on our leadership team, the highest value is just different. So internal, there are those issues. and But I will say, like, God in the Spirit has really, we really haven't had many, if any, situations where we said, this has to be this way, and we've had a split leadership team. I mean, God in the Spirit has caused unity, even within our, within our whole core team, within our body. Uh, we, have a, we have an awesome... Uh, singer who's a worship leader. His name's Lawrence. He's the man. I hope he listens to this. I love the good old deacon. Lawrence is the man. Lawrence is from, he is from the traditional black church. So when Lawrence gets going, Lawrence starts yelling. Lawrence starts singing loud. He may just sing a complete other song, like the the improv. It's just part of black culture. And Lawrence just starts going. It's beautiful. And even though people sometimes, I look around, they may not know what he's doing. They appreciate it. They're okay. And it's, and it's great. It's great. Some of the more contemporary, we have another worship leader, Angel. And, and Angel's just, 
Angel was just wonderful. And Angel, I wouldn't even categorize Angel like on a contemporary Christian scale. Angel has this sultry jazz-like voice that you would find in like a coffee shop or a jazz club. And Angel just, Angel goes in. And when Angel goes in, sometimes it's different than like your contemporary Hillsong worship leader, but Angel's, Angel's great. And there's really a, I think there's really a baseline understanding within our leadership, within our core team, within our congregation, that we are all giving something, giving something up. But I think there's also an understanding that, hey, just because I don't understand it doesn't mean it's not beautiful. I think there's, there's, a, there's an appreciation of that beauty. Which is, I mean, that's so important. I mean, I think that's one, one of the reasons why we started this podcast is because just because you don't understand something, just because something is different doesn't mean it's not right. Or it doesn't mean you can't learn from it. It doesn't mean that it's not good either. You know, you talked about, you know, some of the internal challenges. What would be, like, some of the external challenges that you've had to face with this? Well, I mean, so we launched in last October. So we're not a year old yet. And the crazy thing is, I'll, like, hear people, like, hear people in our city, like, they're not actually a multi-ethnic church. We've only been going. We haven't been going a year yet. Like we're still we're still building identity. Mm-hmm. We're still figuring a whole ton of things out. And there's those external challenges. So somebody will hear from their friend. Oh, you guys aren't actually this. Or you guys aren't actually doing the peanut gallery, man. Mm-hmm. It's the, it's the it's the peanut gallery, and so you have those you have those external challenges. But I mean, God is. Again, he's been so he's been so grateful. I mean, as I talk about this, I can't wait to can't wait to worship with the with the crew on Sunday. I'm really excited. So, like, how how do you like specifically like with more for the well, I guess even for both the internal and the external challenges? How do you deal with that? Uh, pray a whole time. <laughs> <laughs> Bathe, I bathe everything in prayer. <laughs> mm-hmm. I I come from I come from the African American Apostolic Church, and then when I came to know Jesus, I went to a Pentecostal church, like an Assemblies of God style Pentecostal church, and then I went to Malone, and I was really deeply influenced by by the Quaker roots of Malone. Mm-hmm. So I had some I had some professors that that were even lifelong evangelical friends. And I have one I have one professor, shout out to Jackie Welling. Shout out to Jackie Welling. Shout out to Jackie. She's a, uh, she, um, I don't know if she would classify herself as an evangelical friend or a Quaker, but she she taught a class called the History of the Quakers, took us to the meeting house, and I was just yep. really influenced and impacted uh, by Quaker tradition, which launched me into being really influenced and impacted by the whole contemplative tradition of Christianity. So whether I'm yelling like a Pentecostal or whether I'm laying on the floor just in silence, uh, whether I'm chanting like my brothers at Tizay, the monks, um, lots and lots and lots of prayer. There's a lot of encouragement in community. We uh, we have a team leadership style as citizens, so I lead the, the team, but we make decisions as a team, and uh, it's always great when we get together at 6 a.m. and we pray for each other. We talk about how things are going. We encourage each other. So it's, it's been a it's been a good season, but prayer. And I, I have the best wife in the world. She's super supportive. She's texting me right now about our village leaders training tonight on how she can help. Yeah, I have, a, I have a great wife, great community of people who support and encourage and. Yeah. So let's let's talk more about like the benefits that you've seen from like intentionally pursuing like multi ethnicity. Um the benefits the benefits that I've seen I was just talking with uh with some guys who who've engaged in a discipleship group with us yesterday, some football players from Garfield. And what we talked about yesterday was what it meant to be created in the image of God. 
So at Garfield right now, in Akron, Garfield High School, Gilmore High School emerging because uh, the city of Akron, I'll leave it there. Because of the city of Akron, Akron Public Schools, uh, Garfield and Kenmore combining. And it's actually a really, really uh, interesting situation. And these are rival schools. They're, these are really different communities. And uh, the public school has just decided to galvanize them. So as a result of that, Garfield's going crazy right now. So my boys sat and told me, as they told me almost every time they come over, I ask them how it's going in Garfield, and they're like, yeah, they're like these riots are happening. So like fights with, with 10 to 20 people are happening inside the school and outside of the school. And it's happening like on a weekly basis. So they wouldn't say this to me, but a lot of them are like, man, I kind of don't want to go to school because these things are happening. So yesterday we opened up the Genesis and we talked about the creation narrative and we talked about God creating everything. We got to day six and we just we just paused. We just read it a couple times. 26 till the end of chapter one there. And as we read it a couple times, we asked a question and we begin to discuss, all right, so God created us in his image. What does it mean for us to be created in the image of God? And what does it mean for the people around us? How should we treat people as a result of bearing the Imago Dei and the people around us being image bearers of God. And as we talked about that, the conclusion that we came to was it should change the way we view ourselves. <clears throat> because, of, because God breathed his breath into us, because we bear his image, we matter. We're different than the rest of creation. We matter. And I just begin to speak into them. Even though the city of Akron is subliminally telling you that they don't care about you because they're going to send you to Kenmore and because this messy situation is being forced upon you, just because schools in more affluent communities in Akron have had new schools built and when it rains, it floods inside of Garfield and you have to go play at these other schools and have to go to these other schools for your Votec programs and see them being nice just because you live in South Akron and it's a forgotten about neighborhood in Akron, just because if you get pulled over by the police, the way you look is gonna be a weapon, just because of all of this, it doesn't change the fact that you were created in God's image. It doesn't change the fact. And because you were created in God's image, there is worth, dignity, and value that exists inside of you, purely because of that, you matter. And second, you have a mission. The image bearers of God at the end of Genesis are told, hey, I want you to be fruitful and multiply, and I want you to subdue the earth. So you matter, and you have mission. And we talked last night a ton about that, and I think one of the core benefits of a multi-ethnic church is that that reality is lived out in front of us on an everyday basis in our villages and through our celebration. Um, we're around people who are different than us. And because of the composition of our church, it's just how it is. It's just how it is. For a lot of our Caucasian church members, they've probably never had a black pastor. And I'm a weird black pastor, so I'm, I talk I about. Say, you're not. You're I, a hybrid. I, I talk about Kenny. I talk about uh, Kenny Rogers, the gambler, in the same sentence as the notorious <laughs> B.I.G. from the pulpit. But in, but, but in a lot of, but in a lot of ways, I mean, but in a lot of ways, when uh, when tragedy strikes and when tragedy happens, there are different perspectives at the table. Um, in February, we had a whole month about what it means to be a multi-ethnic church. We called it the Serious Kings and Priests. And I thought one of the coolest things to hear that month was Zach and I both talk from different perspectives. We're different races. But to talk about the power of the gospel and how it causes unity and how it speaks against racism. And, yeah, I think one of the benefits of that is seeing people from different cultural backgrounds and different races like share the same message in the same heart and i believe it's a powerful testimony
powerful testimony of true power of the gospel. So, like if if you were giving advice to churches and they wanted to become more um, ethnically diverse or sensitive or to, or sensitive sensitive <laughs> to this to this topic and, and having an understanding of what that looks like. Yeah, what what would you tell them? Um, the first thing the first thing I would say is uh, be woke, right? Be woke. That's the first thing I would say. And I think a lot of churches, black and white, are just not woke, bro. Explain what you I mean. I was going to say, explain what the, you mean by that, because a lot of people probably don't know what that means. So at its very, at its very uh, base, I mean, it means don't be sleep. Like, be awake to the realities that are happening around us in our communities and that are happening around us in the world. Um, Martin Luther King was leading a protest in Birmingham, and hoses were sprayed at him, dogs were let out on him, and he and the people who were protesting were beaten. Martin Luther King was thrown into a prison, and lots call it Martin Luther King's prison epistle. It's going to be called the, the Letters from Birmingham Jail. And in the Letters from Birmingham Jail, Martin Luther King is basically like reaching his hand through the bars and just like grabbing the church in America by its neck and saying you need to do something he's saying if you believe in this gospel and he clearly articulates it through the course of this nearly seven page letter over and over and over example after example after example Martin Luther King is urging his Caucasian clergymen to join him and to do something, to not be silent. You see the ills and the evils that are happening in the world. The gospel is about more than vertical reconciliation, but it's about horizontal reconciliation. Mm -hmm. If we believe Second Corinthians, we believe that we've been called to the ministry of reconciliation as we've been reconciled. And Martin Luther King is shaking them and he's telling them, wake up, wake up. A revolution is happening among you. And your silence is going to be delegated to the pages of history as an ineffectual voice in a gospel movement that's happening right now. Not a social movement, but a gospel movement that's happening right now. Because African Americans are created in the image of God. And in our country right now, this, this myth and this idea that racial tension is okay is just that. It's a myth. It's an idea. Just last week, a young African-American male, 15 years old, is in a car in Texas. He gets shot with a shotgun in the car. Need I say Trayvon Martin? Need I say Philando Castle? Need I say Eric Garner? Need I say Mike Brown? Need I say, in Northeast Ohio, 12-year-old Tamir Rice. These are ills and evils that are happening all around us today. I mean, in my specific context, in my specific context, context there is an educational inequity in the city of Akron. I coach football, so I figure, hey, all these boys tell me they want to play college football. So another coach and Skyler and I said, hey, we're going to start ACT prep for them. So we're going to figure out a way to help them score higher on the ACT. Well, as we start ACT prep, what we find out is that most of them haven't passed the OGT. So graduation is an issue. So as we start helping them with OGT stuff, what we find out is that half of them, I'm going to guess, read at a middle school reading level. So what that means is part of the reason why they can't pass the OGT is because they can't read and or understand a lot of the words that are on the test. It's not gonna happen in other parts of Akron. Right? Mm -hmm. It's not gonna be as prevalent. Like, when it rains, it floods in the weight room at Garfield. 
as we lifted weights last summer, when it rained, we stopped lifting weights because it flooded in the weight room. That's not prevalent in other schools. And now what's being said to them is, hey, and to the kids at Kenmore, what's being said to them is we're not going to actually build you guys new schools. And I understand there are complex issues happening. I understand attendance in the schools. I understand there's not enough money left. I understand all these things, but it doesn't take away what the perception is to the students. Mm -hmm. That you don't matter as much as these other communities matter, so we're going to try to galvanize you. I think for the church, we can't continue to function as these big buildings, as these social clubs of communities, who again, trade time dollars for well thoughts about faith that help you sleep better at night. You can't continue to be that. The church is a battleship. The church is the body of Christ that's been made alive by the Holy Spirit to do the work of Jesus Christ in the world today. The church is the bride of Christ. The church, the church, the church. I could sit here all day with you and talk to you about the church. I love the church. My prayer is that as we function and that as other movements function, I'm so grateful for the chapel in North Canton, man. Seeing what God's done and what God is doing there, man, like to see us function as the church on a local, national, and global level, it's been incredible. I mean, the fact that they that they planted us in the way that they did. Like, I don't know if you know this about North Canton, but I was the only black person there for a very long time. I was a chocolate chip in a snowstorm at North Canton. Yes, he just went there. <laughs> for a very long time. But do you know what I could say about the people in North Canton? Over the seven years that I've been involved in the North Canton Chapel, I went from a chocolate chip to a friend, and from a friend to a son, from a son to a brother and a co-laborer. And they, they heard my heart, and they seen my heart, and they said, you know what, we're going to do this. A lot of people may not completely understand, but they said, we're going to do this. And Northeast Ohio, I believe, well, I believe Northeast Ohio is, is the northern light. It's, it's the light of the north. That's what I believe. But Northeast Ohio, uniquely, there is a lot of movements happening that are similar. If you're in Canton, you can go down the, to Third Street Church and holler at my boy Corey. And you can see what God is doing on the southeast end of town. It's just incredible. It's just magnificent. You want to go to Alliance, there's a church called M3. The pastor is a guy named James Gray. James Gray is a war vet and a man of God. You can go there and you can see a literal, diverse, and multi-ethnic community that's figuring out what it means to be the church in Alliance and what it means to move towards these things. In our own city, there's a church in Kenmore. Pastor is Jacob Lay. What a stinking preacher. The chapel in Kenmore, they're doing great things down in Kenmore, on the southwest side of the city of Akron. And now those are just movements that I know. My dude, Ron Kent, is up in Cleveland, doing great things in the central neighborhood, doing great things. And I could just go on and on and on about the incredible things that God's doing in Northeast Ohio how people are woke, how people are not falling asleep, right? Wow. Um, I dealt with this for four years where he would take me aside and just lecture me about something. (laughs) See, I think that's the difference between you and me. I don't view it as a lecture. No, he's not not lecturing. Right now he's preaching. There's a difference. James will lecture and then James will preach. Right now he's preaching. Right now he's preaching. So you talk about woke, be, being woke and how that's something that's really important um, for churches today. Are there any? Is there anything else that you would say, you know, hey, this is something that's important to do? And I'm not talking nuts and bolts stuff. I'm talking like uh, culture. I'm talking mindset, attitude. What are some things that you you, you see that, that are so important to beginning to, to, to move down this path where they are sensitive to, to other um cultures and, and ethnicities and things like that. What, what are, some, are, there, is there anything else that you would say is there 
um, that you, that you you would point to? I mean, part of being woke is uh, I believe it was Charles Schwindel who said as pastors we should have the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in another. I think what's happened in our in our Western world of Christianity is we have like the Bible in one hand and we have our um, Christian blogs and our Christian books and our Christian culture in the other hand. I think it's really important that we do follow the advice of, of, of the great Charles Schwindel. And we have the Bible in one hand and we have the newspaper or we have the Time magazine or we have the People magazine or we have uh, the 13th documentary or we have uh, the new Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander, or we have the the writings of Gustavo Gutierrez, or we have the writings of James Cone, or we have things that are outside of our like pretty tied evangelical box that we're reading and that we're ingesting because the world is happening around us. The world is happening around us, and if you look at the missiological movements of Paul the New Testament, which you're going to find a whole lot of times, i.e. Acts 17, is you're going to find Paul take the writings of the culture around it, their poets, and you're going to see Paul enter the culture through means that they understand and then proclaim the gospel through that means. I think it's important for us to, as churches to, to not Part of exegeting scripture is exegeting the culture around us. Oh Part of the interpretation of scripture is interpreting is interpreting the culture around us, that they would see the truth of the scripture and rejoice in the goodness of the gospel. Dr. Linville. Dr. Greg Linville, the great indeed. Oh it's part of it. It's part of it. Like it's part of the work of contextualization. So I think as churches it's important that we're paying attention locally to our newspapers, that we go to block watch meetings, that we know who our council person is, that we understand the issues that are that are happening in our particular context, in our particular community, and that we are actively stepping towards those, those as the church. I think that's a huge part of being woke as well. You know, as as we wrap up, you know, one question that we always like to end the interview with is, you know, what would it what have you learned? So in your time, like from 2014 to, you know, first getting the idea for Citizens Akron to today, like what would you say would be, you know, one or two things that like God has taught you or that you've learned in your time in leading Citizens Akron? Mm. And there may be more than one or two. So just. Yeah. Yeah. Um. let my sermon out of the bag for Sunday a little bit, but, uh, that's okay. This won't air for a couple of weeks. So you're good. There, there is no, there is no abounding practice of ministry without the abiding presence of God. It doesn't happen the other way around. The abounding practice of ministry does not equal the abiding presence of God, but the abounding practice of ministry is only possible when the abiding presence of God is there. If there is no abiding presence of God, there is no mission. To be filled with the Holy Spirit is to be on mission. And what I've learned more than anything is when I or when we as citizens are functioning out of this is a cool idea, this is a cool concept, this is a social justice cause, this is this, this is that, no eternal impact is made. We may be doing cool things, we may have cool graphics, we may have cool logos, whatever. But when there is no abiding presence of God, there is no abounding practice of ministry. And the the, the greatest thing I've learned over the last three years is that I want to spend the rest of my life cultivating the, the abiding presence of God in my life. Like... Am I going to stop coaching football? No. Am I going to stop 
disciple on the boys, no, I'm not going to stop advocating for Garfield, now Kenmore Garfield High School. No, I'm going to keep doing those things. But my ability to do those things well only comes out of the abiding presence of God being cultivated in my life personally. And I want to spend the rest of my life helping folks in spiritual formation, figuring out what it means to cultivate the abiding presence of God in their lives. Uh, that's that's what I'm learning right now. I probably learned a whole ton of things, but that's what's that's what's going on right now. I won't get into Ezekiel 47, Todd. I won't I won't lecture you, Todd. I won't get into Ezekiel 47. <laughs> Hit up the Citizens Akron <laughs> podcast if you want to learn more. Right? Yeah, if you want to hear more. Hit it up. I've got a river of life flowing out of me, Todd. It made the lame to walk in the blind to see, bro. Listen. Praise him. And you know this. The Old Testament is literally my language. So you can preach all day to me (laughs) about stuff from the Old Testament. I love the New Testament too, but the Old Testament is the language that I speak. James, thank you so much for being on our podcast today. Um, I know that... um, You really spoke to me and really challenged me, and I just want to say I appreciate it. Yes. Um, And so, if you know, if our audience wants to learn more from you, you know, if they want to connect with you, you know, how how can they do that? Um, You can go to our website, citizensakron.com. You can shoot me an email there. Uh, My email is james at citizensakron.com. I'm on Facebook and I'm on Instagram. James Thomas Talbert on both. It's real simple. It's just who I am. But, uh, yeah, you can connect with us that way. Todd and Caleb, thanks. Uh, Really encouraged by what you guys are doing with the Learner's Corner. Uh, It's really encouraging. Uh, The story about Martin Luther King when he's in jail and he's trying to urge his Caucasian clergy members to be woke, to do something, to wake up. Um, I thank you guys for for taking action and seeking to be woke. That's incredibly important. And I'm encouraged. And my prayers are with you, good brothers. Thank you. We appreciate that. Well, that was an interesting um, conversation we had with James. Uh, One of the things that I really take away from that conversation um, is for the church. And it's this idea of the church being open to truly what Jesus preached and the message of, of the gospel and just how we are truly called to minister to everybody, regardless of race, gender, um, stereotypes, um, orientation, ethnicity, regardless of what it is, um, we are called to minister to everybody. And um, for, for me, working in a church, I think it's so important for us to understand um, the love that God showed to us and also the love um, that he calls us to show to others. Now on the next episode, we're going to be talking with Stephen Brewster. And Stephen is one of the most creative people that we know. And he's going to talk about his creative process. He's going to do, he's going to talk about what he does whenever he gets stuck, whenever it comes to creating creativity and thinking through all of that. So we're really excited about our episode next week. And the best way to make sure that you don't miss our next episode is by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes or on Google Play or whatever podcast app you use. If you want to see some of our key takeaways from this episode, check out our show notes. Show notes are a great way for you to continue to engage with the conversation um, each with each episode. Um, all you have to do is go in your podcast player um, to the description tab, and all you have to do is swipe over to that. And what we have there are... Um, click the tweets where there's just some quotes that we get from from the episode of the day and you can click on those and they will be you can tweet those directly out um there's it's also a place where we put any resources that the um person who we talked with our guest um may have given us and so it's just a great place to go um after the conversation has ended to be able to just check some extra stuff out and to be able to begin to put into practice the things that you learned that day if this podcast has helped you in any way, you can show your appreciation by leaving a rating or writing a review of our podcast on iTunes. Or you can just simply keep sharing it on Twitter, 
on Facebook, on Instagram, wherever you want to on social media. To do that, you can like our Facebook page, follow us on Instagram, our handle is at the Learners Corner, or on Twitter at our handle at Learners Podcast.